I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Never get tired of the intro. Let's go. It's the Wong Takes. It's Tuesday. It's actually Tuesday this time, not Wednesday. It's Tuesday, September 4th, 2018. And uh, based on some scheduled things, it looks like we will be broadcasting on Tuesday for the foreseeable future, and that is great. You know why? Because football season is coming back. Uh, Every football season is coming back. On Friday nights, you got high school football. Uh, My school suffered a tough loss, but that's okay. We're going to make the playoffs, I hope. Uh, Saturdays, you got college football. And Sundays, you got pro football. Thursdays, you got pro football. Other days, you got college football. It's phenomenal. Just your entire weekend from like Thursday to Monday, you got football. Um, And that means we got something to talk about every single week for the next 30, 20, 25 weeks. Um, And that's pretty cool. Um, because This is one of my favorite sports to talk about. As uh, you can tell, when when I when you get a long take episode with football in it, especially with these kind of weekly things, man, it, it goes off. So, uh, sound a little weird, but you know what that you know you know what's coming. Um, and this episode, I'm thinking we we go deep dive into college football. I mean, I've got a couple of other things that I can say if if we need to, but I feel like this whole episode we could just line up college football, um, and it's going to be super super fun. Uh, because we got plenty of games to get into. We had a great week one um, as far as competition um, and some shakeups. Uh, and so I'm really excited uh, to just get straight in. Um, college football started uh, actually last week with week zero. Um, but there weren't really any heavy hitters in those games. Some FCS teams, uh, Hawaii, shout out to the 808, uh, playing in week zero. But uh, week one, you got some ranked teams playing. And so we're just going to take a look straight into it. Uh, I don't know about, I think this year uh, I'm going to do something kind of similar to what I did last year um, and just go over uh, how the top uh, top games went from the, for the top teams. And then after that, we'll take a dive into what I feel um, is necessary to dive into. Uh, so let's take a look at how the weekend unfolded. Uh, Alabama, number one Alabama, beat Louisville in a blowout, 51-14. to 14. Uh, Where's Clemson? Clemson beat Furman, number two Clemson, 48-7. to 7. Number three Georgia beat Austin P, uh, 45 to nothing. What else we got here? Number four Wisconsin beat Western Kentucky, 34-3. to 3. Number five Ohio State beat Oregon State, 77-31. to 31. Uh, Number uh, seven... Oklahoma beat FAU, Lane Kiffin's FAU squad, 63-14. to uh, Number 8, Miami lost to LSU, number 25, LSU, 33-17. to um, And now we're going to get into some of the games that uh, I thought are worth talking about. Um, now, the oh, Miami-LSU game, I didn't really get to see, so I didn't really feel like there would be enough that I'd be able to say about that game. So I'm going to kind of lay off it a little bit, but I'll reference it occasionally. So let's take a, let's take a look at uh, what happened this week in college football. Big game of the week that uh, I was high, I had circled on my uh, calendar, at least, and I actually recorded this game. I don't record many games because it's my point of view that, like, I, I don't really, like, if I already know what happened, I'm, I'm not going to be able to live out the drama uh, of, what, of what went down. And so when I record a game, it's like an event. Like, I turn off my notifications 
uh, for my sports app so I don't get the score. I try to like cover my ears and make sure that I never get the score from anyone uh, until I can come home and like live the suspense of it. Um, and I mostly did that with this Washington-Auburn game. Um, but, but it was a really fun game. Uh, number nine, Auburn beat number six, Washington, 21 to 16. Uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a rumble tumble game, uh, college football, uh, pretty much any score below like 30 means it was pretty good defense, um, considering the pace and the, uh, level of talent that college football has at the skill positions. Uh, and this one was no exception. I mean, it was 15 to 13 at the half. You're thinking, all right, this is a pretty normal game. And then all of a sudden the defense is just clamped down. Um, and you ended up with this 21-16 game where Auburn only had a touchdown without the uh, two-point conversion, and Washington had a field goal where they actually had the lead at one point. Um, but just watching the game, I just noticed a few things. Uh, Auburn's hurry-up offense, I mean, the hurry-up offense has been trending upward in college football over the last, uh, I guess, half decade or so, and that's because teams are starting to understand that uh, this is the offense that you use to keep people off guard, uh, take people off, off their rhythm. Um, and Auburn was able to do that uh, to Washington for a lot of the game. Now, they only ended up scoring 21 points, but still, their offense was able to uh, was able to work all game. I also like when you have an experienced quarterback like Jared Sim, who came over as a transfer out of Baylor, um, and this I believe this is his second year at Auburn after nearly leading them to the college football playoff last year. Um yeah, he had 273 yards and a touchdown, 26 for 36, which is a really good completion percentage. So um, I like how Auburn works in this system, and I think if they can get uh, their run game together, um, like their lead running back, Ken, uh, Martin, only had less than four yards uh, per carry. So, I mean, if they can get the offensive line together and really establish the run game, I think this offense can be really, really good. Uh, on the Washington side, I mean... He only had 75 yards, uh, rushing yards, but Miles Gaskin is electric. I mean, just he passes the eye test. I mean, he has the ability to get past defenders, uh, to beat him one-on-one, um, and he's been a hype pro- uh, player over the last couple of years, and so I, I think that team can do pretty well, uh, or that guy can do pretty well uh, head- heading the Washington backfield. Um, now, this is a tough loss. This was going to be a big swinger, really early swing in the college football playoff. I mean, this is bold moves by both Auburn and Washington scheduling uh, a ranked team this high in their schedule. Um, and it's a risk they both felt like they could afford to take because a lot of teams schedule FCS teams uh, this early on. That's why you get these, like, 30, 40-point blowouts is because teams want to, like, ease themselves into the season um, and play a relatively easy non-conference schedule, especially when you have teams... Uh, that will end up playing really tough schedules in their conference, like the Power Five teams, like um, I don't know, let's say Alabama or 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 this Auburn team or, or Stanford or someone like that. They're gonna want to schedule. Uh, they can, they can afford to schedule an easier non-conference because their conference is so tough. Uh, whereas Auburn and Washington basically added like a tenth conference level game into their schedule, um, and that can pay off or it can do the opposite. So in this case. Auburn gets a quality win to add to their resume. I don't think they can, because there are some teams where you beat them early on. For example, Al beating Flo- Alabama beating Florida State to kick off the season last year, and it looked really impressive at the time. Um, but that season, Florida State ended up going six and six. Uh, we'll actually end up talking a little bit, a little bit about them later in the show. Uh, that Florida State team ended up going six and six, and so Alabama didn't have really a quality win in that team on their schedule at the end of the year. 
um, didn't end up mattering, but that's not the point here. Whereas Auburn, I don't think they can, that this Washington team is going to fade out. I mean, the fact that they were able to hold up, because the Pac-12 has had a reputation of being not as strong as the top of the SEC, uh, especially considering how top-heavy the SEC is. But now with Washington being able to compete with one of the top teams in the SEC with Auburn and really having a chance to win late in the game, um, if, if they had been able to score a touchdown on that final possession, uh, that they, the final drive that they had, uh, they were really hanging tough with Auburn on the defensive end as well as the offensive end. Um, or especially on the defensive end. Um, and so Washington is going to lose something from this game. I mean, I think they had more to lose in this game. Uh, they, they lose to a schedule that might end up coming back to bite them in the head-to-head um, if they have to compete with Auburn to get into the college football playoff. Um, but this is still, I mean, this is this is a tough loss. But I think Auburn actually had uh, less to lose from this game if they had fallen because... The thing with Auburn is they have a tougher in-conference schedule. I mean, if you look at, like, if we just take a look uh, at the schedules coming up, obviously both of them are going to have pretty tough schedules being in Power 5 conferences. Um, but let, let's take a look at Washington's schedule. I mean, the the only ranked, I mean, the Pac-12 is a Power 5 conference, but it doesn't have as many teams at the top that the SEC does. If you take a look at Washington's schedule, the only ranked teams left are Oregon, uh, which could easily be out of the conversation by the time we get to mid-October when they play, and then a showdown with Stanford at the end of the year. Stanford should be up there. Um, whereas if you're an Auburn team, look at this. you got LSU coming up in two weeks uh, on November 15th. That's going to be a marquee game that I'm excited to see. you got Missis- 18 seed Mississippi State uh, coming up on October 6th. And then look at this, Georgia, number three Georgia on November 10th and number one, Alabama, on November 24th. And I don't really think that they can count on either of those teams not being in the conversation when gets the year. And that's also not including Texas A&M, who got Jimbo Fisher and who isn't ranked yet, uh, but might very well be ranked um, when they face on November 3rd. Plus an SEC championship game, if they get that far, that will inevitably be against either Alabama uh, or will be against, sorry, not against Alabama, um, but be, might be against Georgia. So, I mean... Look, this this Auburn team has plenty of chances to come back, at, or would have had plenty of chances to come back um, and take their spot. I mean, they almost got into the college football playoff last year with two losses just because of their strength of schedule, um, whereas Washington doesn't really have that luxury. So Washington is going to have to look to win out and win their conference here. Um, and they've set a tough road for themselves, but look, that's what happens um, when you schedule a tough opponent like Auburn. Uh, so that that's really the the lay of the land for those two teams. Uh, now the other one of the other big games this weekend that I was really uh, looking forward to, not only because of the rankings, which is the main thing I look for when I'm looking for big games, but also because of the historic rival historical rivalry. Uh, Notre Dame and Michigan have been going at it for years, and they haven't faced off since 2015. So this was a humongous or 2014 or 20 one of those years. Uh, so this was a humongous matchup. The, uh, I, I heard it being described as the uh, Catholics versus the Khakis, obviously playing on Catholics versus convicts and Jim Harbaugh's affinity for uh, the brown pleat pants. And so, number 12, Notre Dame, number 14, Michigan at South Bend. Uh, it was a great atmosphere. Um, and the game, eh, the game was okay. Uh, we saw great defense, I'll say that. Um, Notre Dame ended up winning 24-17. to 
Um, but but Michigan has a little bit to worry about here. I mean, Shea Patterson was the uh, was the guy, the transfer uh, coming over to Michigan from the University of Mississippi, um, and they were looking for him to uh, vitalize a quarterback, revitalize a quarterback position, and he clearly was not able to do that. Uh, Michigan didn't have a an offensive touchdown until with just over two minutes left in the game. I mean, they scored 17 points, but all they had was a field goal um, and a kick return touchdown after Notre Dame uh, was able to go up 14. And then they had the, uh, they, they finally were able to score a touchdown. Um, but then after that, they had a chance to actually tie the game and weren't able to do it. So, I mean, look, this Michigan team is going to recover. I have trust in Jim Harbaugh to, uh, to, re- to get his team back into the save. But if you just, I mean, Michigan had 58 yards rushing this game, which is pretty pitiful. Uh, on 33 attempts, no less. I mean, that's less than two yards per carry. Uh, so unless Michigan's run game can get it together, I mean, Shea Patterson, he can only do so much. I mean, I, I watched this game. I mean, I, I, he, I liked him as far as the eye test goes. I mean, he throws well on the run. He's mobile. Uh, he can make big plays. But until you get the run game, and, and Notre Dame's defense obviously had something to do with that, but until you can develop that run game, um, it's going to be tough for this team to compete uh, 100, 100 and 100% of games. Um, now, Michigan's hi- very hyped-up defense did live up to the hype, I mean, uh, quite a bit. I mean, Notre Dame had trouble uh, in this game. Only, what, 302 total yards. Michigan actually outgained Notre Dame. Um, but the offense just wasn't able to do it. Now, let's take a look at how these teams are going to fare uh, going forward. Now, one of the criticisms against just been leveled against Jim Harbaugh is that he can't win in big games. I mean, in the last four years that he's been here, he's struggled uh, against teams like Notre, or not Notre Dame, but uh, Michigan State and Ohio State, and also, uh, yeah, their main rivals. So he's going to have a chance to come back, and Michigan's pretty much going to have to win out from here uh, if they want to get in the college football playoff. And to be honest, I don't really see that happening. Uh, Michigan's got uh, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State in a five-week span. I think they had something similar to that last year as well. Oh, don't forget Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State within a six-week span. And I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about all of those games. Um, So, I mean, this is a tough – this is going to be a tough road for Michigan. Meanwhile, Notre Dame, who plays as an independent, of course – um, now that they're the eighth-ranked uh, team right now, if they can win out with their schedule, their schedule is not the toughest, uh, especially compared to Michigan hanging out in the Big Ten. Um, but they've got some tough matchups with Power Five teams coming up. Uh, Stanford, Virginia Tech, who just came off with a really impressive win over Florida State. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And also USC to cap off the year. Uh, so they're going to have to avoid the upset traps and really play up to their competition because if they lose, we've, we haven't really had a situation yet in the college football playoff era where an independent team, which is pretty much Notre Dame exclusively, um, has been in the hunt. And we've had to compare these power con- these conference teams uh, with an independent like Notre Dame um, because there really is no press. There is no precedent for it. Um, how do you compare? How do you take into account conference championships? How do you take into account? Um, a tough interdivisional schedule with teams that you're used to playing, whereas Notre Dame only has like these occasional rivalries they develop, like with Stanford uh, or with like I don't know maybe. Um, 
So it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if Notre Dame is going to be able to get into the college football playoff hunt, but if they can, uh, we'll have an interesting discussion. Uh, now let's take a look at the final big game that I want to talk about this week. Florida State and Virginia Tech, number 19 and number 20. Uh, this was a big game for multiple reasons. One, because between two ranked teams, but also DeAndre Francois, the quarterback for Florida State, uh, had a lot of uh, hype going into him a few like last year, um, but then he got injured in the first game against Alabama, was out for the year, and now his return uh, was a big story going into this year. And he responded to that by putting up three points. Virginia Tech beat Florida State 24-3. to Now, neither team really got uh, a big boost from, or as far as total yards go, as far as passing yards go. I mean, Florida State actually outgained Virginia Tech. But what it came down to, and what it always comes down to, was turnovers. Florida State lost two fumbles and threw three interceptions in this game. And many of those plays came at the fault or in crucial situations. Uh, when it was 17-3, to Florida State, after rattling off an 85-yard gain in the fourth quarter, had all uh, was looked ready to go, and yet, and yet, they fumbled the ball on third and goal. Uh, another situation where they were at the one-yard line, and then they got the penal- a penalty, and that only they only ended up with three points on that possession. So Florida State um, just couldn't convert when they needed to. Um, and also... Uh, DeAndre Francois and the Florida State's offense failures was also in part due to field position, um, where it really became almost comical, uh, the situation. Florida State would start at their own five or something, go three and out, have to punt it. Now Virginia Tech gets it at their uh, in like f- at the Florida State 40, um, and then they, Florida State's defense actually does a good job um, and doesn't let them get a first down, and they punt it, and now Florida State's backed up to their own two. And they, the whole situation goes, and that was it was pretty much like that the entire third quarter, um, and that's part of the reason that Florida State had negative yards actually in the third quarter when they should have started to make a move um, down seventeen to three, and yet they weren't able to. So I mean, I I think we're gonna really get a test of, and I actually wasn't able to watch the first half, which is why I'm not a hundred percent sure if I can make total statements about the first half. Um, but, I mean, I think we'll start to get a sense of really what this Florida State team's upside is um, when they play their upcoming schedule. Uh, the, their upcoming schedule is Samford, Syracuse, Northern Illinois, and Louisville. They should win all four of those games handily. Um, so, Or not handily, but they should win all four of those games. So I think we'll start to see, uh, heading into their matchup against Miami, the big Florida State-Miami rivalry, um, we'll start to see, and in that Miami game, what this team can do. Um, before they before they end up hitting the meat of their schedule with Clemson and Notre Dame in a three week span, um, and so I, I think we're gonna look we're gonna see this this is gonna be a curious case. They've more or less we're gonna really have trouble getting into the playoff now. It's so interesting looking at all these teams and having the optimistic view of could they get in the playoff. Um, but if the offense gets it together, I mean this Florida State team could be pretty good. Um, their defense did a great job limiting Virginia Tech to 319 total yards. Uh, only 207 yards passing uh, from Josh Jackson. Uh, I believe, yeah, it's Josh. Uh, I lose track sometimes with all the Jacksons. Um, but uh, anyway, 
yeah, no, this is going to be a good team if they can get the offense together. Um, now, as far as Virginia Tech goes, this is actually a really good win for Virginia Tech because they are in a very tough division uh, in the, I believe it's the ACC uh, Coastal Division. They're probably going to have to go up against Miami in the, in the, uh, or at, to fight for the top of the division, and that's not going to be an easy fight. But getting a conference win against a tough opponent in Florida State to start off the year is huge for Virginia Tech. Now they have some room to work with, so to speak. Uh, they get William and Mary, East Carolina, Old Dominion, Duke. So some couple or a conference game in there, but none of them are really that hard. And then you get into the Notre Dames of the world, the uh, Georgia Techs, who can of course upset. Same thing with Pittsburgh, Miami. Um, Miami's now still ranked, but 22 in the country. So I mean, uh, this is a great win. A big road win for Virginia Tech, and that's going to look really good if they are end up fighting for a playoff spot because they weren't really uh, looked at very highly. But look, they're at 12 seed, and they've got some easy games coming up, so there's really not really anywhere to go but up for them for the next couple of weeks. So um, I'm really excited for them as well. Now let's take a look at some other things. I'm doing this for week one. I might not do this for the coming weeks, or maybe if you guys want, I can do more of these like smaller takeaways and less of the big analyses. Um, just let me know what you want, emails, whatever. Um, but some other things, I love the Jordan McNair tribute that Maryland did. If you don't know, Jordan McNair was a former Maryland player who died from a heat, excessive heat stroke um, because of a lack of oversight from the coaching staff who have now since been uh, put on leave. Um, and so what Maryland did was they came out with only 10 players on the first play of the game, took a delay of game penalty, and then Texas declined it. Uh, great show of sportsmanship just to honor McNair. Um, and what he meant to the program. Uh, and Maryland actually ended up winning that game and upsetting Texas. Uh, so I think they were a little bit inspired and a great win for the Terps. Uh, another takeaway, Penn State barely scraped by Appalachian State. Appalachian State, who has upset teams before. They upset, um, I believe it was number five, Michigan in 05. Um, and, and they were really close to beating Penn State. They, Penn State needed a great throw from Trace McSorley to send it into overtime. Um, and, the, and then got an inter clutch interception in overtime to win the game. Um, this Penn State team is number 10 right now, but they're not going to stay there for long if, they keep, if the defense keep playing like this. Uh, they gave up 451 yards to an FCS team. So, I mean, I believe it's an FCS team. If not, it's a really low FBS team. Um, so, I mean, look, Trace McSorley is going to be there for this Penn State team, um, and it's going to have to be the rest of the offense. Um, they actually had a pretty good running game uh, from uh, Mitchell Sanders, I believe. Uh, one of the Sanders, Miles Sanders. Uh, but their defense is going to have to keep up, and the running attack is going to have to keep up if they're going to compete with the uh, elites of the college football world. Uh, meanwhile, over in Alabama, the quarterback controversy, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa. And it looks like, according to Nick Saban, that Tua is going to start next week. Um, after he had a phenomenal game against Louisville. Uh, let me pull up the stats re really quick. Tua had a QBR, which is 0-100, to 100, of 99.1, and he had 227 yards passing on 12-16, two TDs and a rushing TD, uh, two passing and a rushing. Uh, so, I mean, look, Tua's obviously shown some talent that's beyond Jalen Hurts, and that's unfortunate for Jalen, but he's the backup now. Um, and he's going to have to accept his role at least until Tua starts messing up, and then in comes Jalen. Uh, so I don't think this quarterback controversy is anywhere near over. 
Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jalen Hurts starting a game this year. Um, but for now, it's two a time, um, and, and I'm really excited for that. So college football is back, y'all. Let me know if you want me to change anything about how I'm going to run this segment this year. Obviously, we're going to have a shortened version of it. Look, we're running on 24 minutes now just talking about college football. Um, but I love this, and uh, we're going to keep uh, rolling along in through this season. Okay, so the quick take for today is not really uh, – it's more just something that happened recently, um, and I feel I need to address it. It's Colin Kaepernick becoming the face of Nike's Just Do It campaign. Um, there isn't really much nuance to this issue that we haven't covered over the last year or two years. With the anthem protests and showing respect to the flag, quote-unquote showing respect to the fl- for the flag, uh, and, and all of that, um, I think this is a bold move by Nike, but I don't think it's nearly as risky um, as people are saying. Um, the people that are burning their shoes and saying boycott Nike are still an incredibly small minority of Nike's actual purchasing base. And look, if people like the swoosh, I mean, they aren't turning the Nike, or if people like the brand, they're not turning the Nike swoosh into a Kaepernick face. I mean, this doesn't actually change um, anything about the Nike product, and people are going to keep buying it. I mean, they already have huge sponsorships with, uh, te- with like the Jumpman logo and teams like Michigan. Um, and, and the NBA, where they're not giving those up. Those, those organizations are not boycotting Nike just because they put Colin Kaepernick um, as the face of their 30th anniversary campaign. Um, and a few individual purchasers and a little bit of a, like a 0.1% change in public opinion, which I think is really what this boils down to, um, is not going to totally change the face of the company. I mean, I hate to say those boycotting, but like, look, the majority of people at this point who are buying Nike products are going to be indifferent or are going to agree with this. So there's not really much that this is going to change, I think, as much as people are saying. It's a great symbolic show by Nike. It's I think the positive PR is going to outweigh the negative PR uh, with the whole mainstream media favoring uh, the left and whatnot. But I think to some extent that that's kind of true. I mean, the positive aspects of this are being covered, at least from my point of view, more than the negative aspects. Um, and so I think that's going to continue. Um, but I I guess I agree with the move. Um, but that's really all I've got to say about that. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Well, I've said that faster and faster. Uh, don't forget to send fan questions to longtakes at gmail.com, bit.ly slash longtakes, archives of the show, patreon.com slash longtakes. Rate the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if voicemail, thank you so much for listening uh, to the podcast. And I will see you with NFL Talk next week.